Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. That sounds really good. Did we say that? (laughs) And we say it every week. Yeah, we need to say it to remind ourselves. (laughs) It sort of gets us in the right place, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And we need to be. I I think it's a wonderful reminder while we're going through challenges and difficulties in life that this is true. We don't always have the time to reflect like that about the deeper issues. And yet they're very important to the big picture. Um, I know they are. But I'll be honest with you. I even forget them. And I'm the one who made a lot of them up. And I know um, our listeners don't all know this, but we we did take a a break in our recording Mm -hmm. of our podcast and um, needed it in some ways. But in other ways, you found that, we found that, not having the the stimulus to prepare material for this podcast, we ended up missing that, even though it was work. Absolutely. It, It became, we realized the value of it. Even more than we already did. Absolutely. I certainly uh, found a deeper appreciation for what we're doing. But I, I found that, you know, with what we go through and all the challenges and adversity and struggles and helping others, um, I need a time to reflect and to get my thoughts together about what's been happening. And one of the things about this show and preparing for it, it helps me that way. So when we were off for a few weeks, I missed that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I did it on my own without the show, um, which we're, we're using now. But uh, I can't tell you how much it began to dawn on me that I need to sit back sometimes and get a little perspective because what's coming at us is so difficult and so emotionally stirring. Um, and so many people that we are helping and dealing with are dealing with so much of this that we don't have a whole lot of time to reflect. And that's just the truth of it. And yet we need it. So does everybody need it. I think our listeners need it. And uh, lately we've been talking to caregivers, although we talk to everyone who's listening. And I think what you're saying is important for self-care for everyone. Absolutely. What we're doing is an extension of where we started, how to develop strength and resilience through the struggles and suffering and difficulty. A part of life, a condition of life that's real, for everybody, maybe not at the same time and not permanently, but it's very real. And we're immersed in it. We're immersed in helping other people deal with that. We've been dealing with it. Um, I think when we were off, more people were coming into our life dealing with such difficulties. In that three-week period, it was It was intense. It was. Yeah. And we don't have any control of that. We don't want to. If we can help them, we're going to. And it's an interesting thing because here we are struggling with our own caregiving, in our own work, and we are able to take what we're learning and what we're experiencing and take it with a deeper sense of empathy and compassion that we've ever had before and come alongside others that are struggling. It's almost, you know, I am a spiritual man, 
and I don't want to deny it. It's true. Uh, and I feel that I do believe in God, very much so, that I go through these difficulties and he comes alongside me when I'm going through them so that I can then come alongside others. And that just seems to be the direction of and purpose of my life. So even through the difficulties and hardships I'm going through with my own wife, uh, with my own mother, helping others who are going through it, mm-hmm. we're able to come alongside others with such an understanding and depth of heart that I never had before. And I've been in the helping professions 49 years. 49 years. Well, you know, that sounds really good, and I don't want to dismiss it because I did learn a lot, and I know a lot from that time. But I don't want to boast because I'll be honest with you, with what we're dealing with, it doesn't feel like I've been in the work 49 years. I am learning now. Um, the depth of understanding and empathy I have now, I, I've, I don't think I ever had before. So we're sharing that. We're sharing our experiences with you. And sometimes we come in here and we're kind of emotionally beat up because of what we've gone through. Weekends are difficult. We don't have them off. We, t- we help other people. Mm-hmm. I help my wife. Jenny helps my wife. Uh, we do a lot of things. Uh, we help others. So weekends for us aren't just days off to go play. And so we can come in here pretty beat up. And yet it's an amazing thing what begins to happen as we prepare for these things because we can pull together concepts and understandings that we've had previously and apply them to now. Interestingly, we had a meeting today with a care, a Fijian caregiver, a very fine man, and we are helping place caregivers with families and, and uh, those that are in need. And it's so nice to be able to talk to other caregivers who truly understand Yes. What the experience is like. I don't think you could know until you go through it yourself. I really mean that. It's not something you get out of a book or a training session. I agree. Yeah. But boy, once you're in it, it's a very shared experience. We did talk to him about something very interesting, though. And we, we deal with a lot of uh, caregivers from other cultures, particularly Fiji and, and Haiti. And their culture really encourages an understanding of sickness and and valuing the older generation. Yes. And we, including it as part of your family, you know, all generations, children, adults, the elderly, absolutely. that everyone pulls together and stays connected. Absolutely. And yeah. And it's a remarkable thing because I don't see, and I love my country. <laughs> I, I love it. I'm very patriotic and I love it, but I don't see that as a very strong part of our culture. It's not typical. I don't think not so at either. All. But here's what we're learning. These people come with the best intentions. They're very compassionate and empathetic people. They have so little understanding of how to take care of themselves. And we've seen that as a gaping hole in what happens to these caregivers after they've been in the trenches for a while. They fall apart. Um, They get compassion fatigue. They burn out. Um, They get injured or sick. Injured and sick and this fellow we met said some of the caregivers died. Yes. Did he say Suddenly. That he knew, I think he said three. And they were in their 50s. died suddenly. And they in were in the, their 50s. Lately, yes. And we've known caregivers in the last couple of years, but they were family members that died. Um, we know the percentages are very high. That was the first time I've heard about, when I say this quote-unquote professional caregivers, dying before the people they were taking care of. Yeah. And he said they died suddenly. Yeah. Um, that, that shook me. Uh, to realize that these people have good intentions, they mean well, 
and yet they don't have a clue about self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to fill that gap, and we're working on it. We've done it before for other caregiving situations that we've been contracted to in the past, but now we're applying it to family caregivers, caregivers that come here and they're working with very distressing situations, just as ours is. Um, And we're applying much of what we know to this new part of our lives and the lives of many of these people coming in to us now asking for help. I want to, this isn't a, 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 a endorsement, but I do want to tell you something. I've gone back to a lot of our old material. I've mentioned this before that we've used for other trainings and it is really good and I forgot it. And as I go back over it, I am just, it's like farming, wonderful material that I forgot about that really is part of us. And I feel we're going to put this thing together and and market it. It's that excellent. It's just filled with incredible, helpful fruit. But anyway, we're going to talk today about certainly caregiving. uh, But we're talking about something that does have a continuity where we started. And that is caregivers are a part of a very difficult segment of life. Um, The part of life that a lot of people don't want to admit to don't want to even admit that it exists or it could happen to them. Caregivers caregivers are immersed in that very difficult part of life as a profession, Uh, not just as a profession, for loved ones too. So it's something that uh, for them is it's, it's, it's an inescapable commitment that they make. And I want to say inescapable lightly, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, but they are committed to that this part of life. I'm, I'm waiting to hear, and uh, what I can guess, but I'd like to hear what part of life are you talking about? We're talking about the part of life that deals with the real serious stuff of life, life and death battles, the journey of facing our the the, the uh, mortality uh, of our loved ones, of ourselves, uh, taking care of things that are very very difficult that would, none of us would uh if we have a choice let's be honest we'd like to run the other way i don't deny it um i don't and a lot of people i know don't if they see the challenge they're not going to run away they're as hard as it is they're going to face the adversity they're going to face the difficulty they're going to embrace it the best they can and then out of that process comes what we are now helping folks understand and what to do. But we're not talking about the folks that run away. We're talking about the folks that are invested in the difficulties of life, not burying their head in the sand when difficulties come, not being in denial, uh, but facing the hardships and difficulties head on and being assistants and helpers for others and other families that are going through difficult times. So they're immersed in an extremely distressing part of life. I'll just say for myself that face caring for Lynn has been uh, very uh, confronted for me in being called to face my own mortality. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea until I began caring for Lynn mm-hmm. how I had avoided that and um how even what you were talking about, you would say this to me, and I wouldn't have any sense of what you were talking about. And I imagine there are people out there who 
who don't have a good sense of what this is about. And I don't, I'm not expecting you to explain all this right now. I just want to say, if you're out there listening and, and you're going, what do you mean? Of course I'm going to die. That's not it. There's mm-hmm. more to it. Much more. And uh, she's talking about my wife, Lynn, who we all love. And in fact, our Lynn's and my anniversary is in three weeks, 43 years. We've been together 46 years. And she is facing very difficult times. Um, she's a courageous lady, but she's... She's facing tough times, and we know others, many others. But what Jenny's talking about is a topic, really, that we want to discuss. And that is when you get in, involved in, a, in helping others, uh, it's, first of all, it's very difficult because you're giving of yourself. It's a selflessness. You're just giving. It's not like you're having a reciprocal, nice relationship. It's very difficult. It's coming. You just have to give almost all the time. So it's a tough one. Um, it's depleting. It's emotionally very painful and difficult. Uh, there are stages of things that people go through because of being involved in this very distressing relationship. And we'll talk about that. We've talked about it in previous episodes. Jenny's talking about something called triggering. And uh, we're going to talk about that. And um, she's talking about when you're, when someone is dealing with, well, let me say Jenny, and we're myself, and we're the caregiver, Steve, who's our technician, his wife helps us, Colleen, wonderful woman, Uh, very efficient, by the way. Anyway, she's great. So we have other caregivers, we deal with caregiving teams, which we really believe that's the approach to take. But what we're seeing is, this is the kind of relationship that strips people to their humanity and their vulnerability, no matter how you come in with the best of intentions and how strong you may think you are and how tough you are and how courageous you may be, eventually you're going to be just worn out and stripped. That's what it does. During that time, that can be, number one, it's very painful because you reach a point of feeling powerless to do anything. You can make the person comfortable and loved and secure but that doesn't mean you're going to change the outcome or the, the, the struggles that you're going to be helping them with. It's very tough. Um, it takes the life out of us, too. Now, it can be the, the bottom line about this kind of relationship, though. It's a very nurturing, nourishing, loving relationship. And it has to remain that way. It doesn't always because of the exhaustion that happens and the difficulties and the triggerings, um, which I'm going to get into in a minute. Our technician yeah, gave. Yeah, I, I do want to come back to that. That is triggering and a couple of other, like something else are going to be our main topics today. Right. So let's hold that till after our break. Absolutely. All right. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, if it's okay with you, um, I know when people listen to the podcast, they don't always listen to things in order. They may be jumping in today and not having heard our previous podcast on triggering. 
Um, I'd like to just read the little summary that I wrote about our podcast last week. It, it summarized triggering. I know we're, we weren't going to go over that. Go ahead. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> triggering or getting your buttons pushed happens to everyone. This out-of-proportion reaction to difficulties in the present can lead to hurtful or destructive reactions toward ourselves and others. Old, troubling emotions from the past, such as anger, sadness, or fear, are particularly close to the surface when we're tired or stressed. Caregivers experience both physical and emotional stress daily. And without effective self-care, caregivers are prone to triggering and the distress and burnout that can follow. Developing an awareness of triggered emotions in thoughts, attitudes, and physical sensations is essential to resolve and recover from a triggering event. That was what we went over last week. Mm, I'm just, I'm following it and I... There was a lot there. Yeah. There was a lot there. That's, Jenny's a good writer, by the way. Very good. Um, so let me just re- return, and I'm, I'm going to turn over to you. I'll return ahead. to our definition of triggering, which is an out-of-proportion reaction to difficulties, events in the present. And they can lead to hurtful or destructive reactions toward ourselves or to other people. Okay. So what we want to talk about is how does that happen? Yes. Yeah. And uh, does it happen to everybody? And the answer is yes. Yes. Uh, In this particular kind of uh, relationship, though, it's guaranteed. And it can be very difficult. Triggerings, uh, how do they happen? Well, I'll tell you what. When you're dealing with someone and uh, you're taking care of them, and putting yourself out all the way over over a long period of time, what begins to happen, number one, is you get uh, what we call compassion fatigue. Everybody gets it. Just it's, it's There's normal stress that happens, compassion fatigue happens, and eventually burnout if you don't take care of it. What we're talking about when people get triggered, though, and Jenny was talking about herself a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that we go into this with our own histories, with our own pasts, that may have had woundings, may have had pain and, and difficulties that we don't even remember anymore. And even if we remember them, we don't know the total impact on ourselves, but they're there. And many times when, we're, when we experience it at the time, one of the things is it's not always something that it's easily worked through or discussed uh, openly or gotten help with because a lot of times people don't have that sense of safety they're not living in a family or in a relationship or in a situation where they can. Um, so when it gets stuffed. It gets pushed down. The body begins to react. It, gets, uh, it develops a tension. It develops certain tightnesses and certain uh, their structures begin to change. The, a lot of the material, even in the memory, gets pushed into the unconscious. And I don't want to get super psychological. This is human. And we don't even remember it. Well, you go into be a caregiving situation under enough adversity, this will be drawn out. It's almost like taking an old wound and drawing out the old infection and bringing it to the surface. Mm-hmm. You begin, there are, there are early warning signs that it's happening. If you know yourself and you're aware, you know that certain things are beginning to happen that aren't the norm for you. You can feel it physically. Uh, you can feel the energy's different. You can feel your body changing. Uh, for a guy like me, and Jenny and I are very different. We talked about this before, but it's neither one is good. Uh, for me, um, I'll start. I have a lot. I have anger from my past. My jaw starts getting tight. My neck gets tight. 
my chest gets tight, my heart is racing a little bit more, I get a little bit more hyper. Uh, you know, I can begin to see things as potential threats that I'm not a person that runs away from threats. I go the other way. So I can overreact, and I've done that, unfortunately, uh, where I really regret doing that. Um, certainly during this time of grieving for my wife, it's come out a few times, and I scare people, and I realize it, that I'm so out of line. Even if they've provoked me, it didn't call for that kind of intensity of emotion. It was out of proportion, like Absolutely, we said. and it was not based just on the present. Not based on the present, The yeah. trigger itself, the event, is in the present. Yes. I can think of several that happened, and I had nothing to do with any of them, but they came at me. But my reactions were so overdone that I wasn't quite in the present. And I knew it at the time. This is the way I used to be on the streets of Newark in New Jersey, and I was a survivor. And uh, I could really be very strong. And back in New Jersey, you had to be at those in those days. I don't know what it's like today. But what was going on here didn't call for any of that kind of reactiveness. So instead of responding appropriately to the current situation, I became very reactive. And a lot of my pain and my woundedness uh, came flying out. And uh, it wasn't okay. So I not only was in the pre I was both in the present and the past at the same time. Did I like it? Not at all. And yet part of me was going, well, I can handle this. And I can. There's not too much that comes at me that I can't handle that way. But it wasn't appropriate. And my reactions were way too strong. So what I wound up doing, honestly, a couple of, is apologizing. And from, the, from my heart. And telling them what was really going on. They always understood, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be like that, and uh, I don't usually. I'm usually not like that, but it does come at times, and particularly during these times of caregiving and grieving for my wife, mm-hmm. uh, her sickness that she's going through. Jenny's different. Yes, what I what I my pattern is more um, that my stomach will start to hurt. I will start to doubt myself. Mm-hmm. I will start to draw in and uh, figure that there's something wrong with me. Instead of uh, thinking that there's a situation outside of me, maybe, and I need to deal with it, and maybe I've done nothing wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. instead I'm, 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 I'm striking inward at myself instead of responding appropriately in the the present. She's talking about reacting inwardly. I'm talking about reacting outwardly. Neither one is the is the best one. That's what triggerings can do, and everybody has triggerings. Anyone who's a caregiver, anyone who is a person that embraces adversity and difficulty, oh, they're going to get triggered. That's part of the process. The key really is, what do you do about it? First of all, you better know that you've got to know yourself and you have to have an awareness of who you really are, what you normally feel like. Um, And that is a real antidote to a lot of this. Um, if you don't, though, and you don't know what you're feeling and you know what's going on, your reactions can be very destructive and undermining. And I've seen that many, many times. And we're not, neither Jenny or I are people that do very many destructive things at all. So that's that's not it. But no. I've seen many people who don't know what they're feeling react do very destructive things to loved ones, to people in need. And they can have such regrets. And they can have such regrets. So we do see that... Uh, that's not good either. 
So you do have to know what you're feeling. You got to know who you are. You got to know the components of emotion. You got to know what uh, anger feels like. You got to know what sadness feels like. You got to know what fear feels like. There are, it's an interesting thing because I've read some papers and they're good ones on, uh, well, what are the components of an emotion like that? There's our thoughts that go with that. There are our... Uh, our attitudes. Our attitudes and our... And emo- our behaviors. And our behaviors. And I'll give you an example. If you talk about, well, what does it feel like in the body to be angry, okay? The jaw tightens. The heart beats faster. You begin to see things as a threat, and you begin to get ready to do something about it, and you may overreact. Uh, your your mind is not at peace and at rest at all. It's, it's on a hyper alert, ready to strike. Uh, at least many people are. Um, that's anger, sadness, uh, and the thoughts that can go with that really are the world's against me. I've got to defend myself. I've got to protect myself. I'm going to get hurt or somebody's going to hurt me. Yeah, fear. That's that's actually anger. The fearfulness part is part of that too. Absolutely right. Yeah. And what does fear feel like? Same thing, hyper alert. Um, There is very fast heartbeat. There's no peace. Um, Thinking that, Everything is, is panic, you know, panicky, yeah. and and Jenny talks about the freeze response in yeah. a nervous system. Mm-hmm. That all goes with fear, and then there's sadness. Sadness is very low energy. Uh, it has to people uh, very heavy feeling heavy, in the body, right? And uh, mm-hmm. the world's against me. There's no point in even trying. A hopelessness and a despair, despair to yeah. the thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely. So there, there are things that we have to know about ourselves. And well, what do these things feel like in the body? What's the energy of any one of these things? So we have to know that about ourselves because when we're triggered, you got to know what, what, what's starting to come up and what it feels like in your body. It helps so much to recognize the warning signs. And it's very important. We're finding most caregivers don't even know the early warning signs. They, they ignore them, or they're going to be tough and strong, and they can handle it. These are some good people, but we've seen too many situations where they shouldn't. Um, so knowing yourself, first of all, and understanding what it feels like and the energy that's the norm for you, and then what's not is very important. In a caregiving relationship, there's an energy exchange that goes on. And most of the time, you're, you're giving to the person and you're taking care of them. But there's a nourishing, nurturing exchange, believe it or there not. There can be a, a, a compassionate exchange. Absolutely. Um, a warmth and a love and a fulfillment. Um, even if you are, at which you always are, giving much more. There's still this connection, this this feeling that you can have that is so fulfilling. It's, the word is fulfillment. You're right. Yeah. Um, but one of the things is you're dealing with people that are, they have emotion. They have diff- they're dealing with life crises, a life to death journey. They are suffering. And they're suffering. So you're there with them in that. And there's a buildup of that because you have empathy as a caregiver. And you're engaged, you're not running away and avoiding. You're right there with them. There's this exchange that goes on. Um, And believe it or not, the caregiver is actually taking on, whether they're aware of it or not, the negative energy of the person they're taking care of. That builds up. And if a caregiver doesn't know how to deal with it, they'll begin to accumulate the negativity of the, the relationship. Eventually... They'll get resentful. They'll beginning to they'll begin to act out. They'll begin to not want to be at work. 
they'll begin to not like or love the person they're taking care of anymore. Um, there's a lot of things. They don't know how to take care of themselves anymore. Well, that, that's one of the things. There's different stages of this, and we've talked about that before with caregivers. But instead of taking care of themselves, they forget about that. They don't do that anymore. Do they care about taking care of the other person? They almost, in one stage of it, they care much more about the other person than themselves, which is not good either. The ultimate burnout is they don't care about anybody and they get very destructive and want to quit and never work that, doing that again. So there's things that begin to happen that can be prevented if you are paying attention to what you're going through, what your body's going through, what your needs are that need to be responded to. It's totally legitimate. Self-care is an extremely important part of being a caregiver, especially those caregivers that are engaged, not running away. Those that really do have resilience and strength under adversity, but they're also human and they are vulnerable and they are being stripped down to their own humanity. So how do you deal with that? Well, that's what we're going to, that's what we're talking about. We're going to, we're going to come to that. I'd like to, what I'd like to do is mm-hmm. one, what you just said is that uh, we need to learn to pay attention to some of these warning signs uh, so that we can meet the needs that are coming up for us so that we don't get into compassion, compassion fatigue and burnout. And we're going to talk about how to meet some of these warning signs uh, of triggering. Mm-hmm. How do we respond to triggering? What can we do that's healthy and is not going to leave us uh, in risk of compassion, fatigue, and burnout? Yep. But first, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And and Peter, I think if I were trying to summarize our last section, it would take a long time. We covered a lot. But let me just basically say that we were reviewing and talking about triggering, an out-of-proportion reaction mm-hmm. in the present to something that's happening. Uh, the reaction has to do with our own histories and our past. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways, effective ways, to deal with our triggerings. Uh, mm-hmm. They have to do; these triggerings have to do with our emotions. And if we don't heed the warning signs, uh, they can just b- keep building up and building up, and we're on the road to burnout. Right. One of the things we want to share: we're taking this from a, 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 a year-long training that we did for eighteen medical centers back east, uh, we were dealing with uh, combat crisis treatment teams and we brought in to counteract the effects of burnout. By the time we came along, most of the people we were dealing with were completely... They were very close, if not in burnout. Yeah, and they were part of the Iraq-Afghanistan conflicts in a major way. So we were called in and we had to figure out some way to help them get back on their feet, but also... uh, to figure out what to do to begin to reestablish themselves, their own boundaries, and get their lives back together. We did it. We did a fine job. We're taking a lot of that information that we put together for that training protocol time, uh, just about 10 years ago. We're doing it now. 
and it's good stuff. One of the things that we talked about, and I think this is Jenny's concept. I'm not remembering anymore. I th- I, yeah, I'm not sure. I think we all got there. We all were involved. In we had a big team at the time for this. Um, it's called Pushing the Pause Button. And let me just say that today's title, because we haven't done that yet, is Pushing the Pause Button, a Strategy for Dealing with Triggering. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really put a great deal. I remember Jenny putting a great deal of effort. For some reason, when she was training groups, I remember her really being into this. I really liked it because it was so practical. It was such a strong image that just about anybody could relate to. Mm-hmm. And it was so important. It is important. And when you're in the midst of caring for others, um, what, one of the things that we have to really be paying attention to is boundaries. Um, some way how to protect ourselves with all this that's coming at us. And when you're in the midst of all of this, i got to tell you, after a while, you mentioned compassion fatigue. You mentioned burnout. You mentioned stress. Well, in stress... You can still maintain the boundaries. You can still be aware of taking care of yourself. In compassion fatigue, the boundaries begin to get a little bit more gray. You're much more concerned and interested in other people, the people you're taking care of, and you forget about yourself, which is a danger sign. Yes. It means your boundaries are starting to get a little bit unclear. And then ultimately burnout, you have no boundaries anymore. You don't take care of yourself. You don't even take care of them. So... uh, these are the kind of things that we had to pay attention to uh, and figure out a way to prevent and reestablish boundaries for people. And uh, we had to deal with the triggerings. And what, to be honest with you, we couldn't ignore that they happened for people. We had to find out what they'd been through, uh, the events they went through that, that were horrendous for the most, of the most of the time, and also what it brought up in them from their own past. And most of them had pasts. They may have been very empathetic, and they were, but they also had their own histories that were pretty traumatic, usually. Yep. And that began to get in the way. And so after a while, there was no boundaries between their emotional material and their pain and the people they're taking care of. So when those boundaries went down, things began to fall apart. Um, our job was to teach them how to put it back together. So we developed a concept, and I'm sure other people have done it too. I can't even remember anymore. But we call it pushing the pause button. It's how to reestablish boundaries again, uh, what it looks like. And uh, let me see what I said here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to talk about different, yeah. as uh, giving you a picture of what that actually means. Um, we got pushing the pause button, which is, Actually, it is pulling back. Why don't you start with what on means? That's what I was going to do. Yeah. What is when your switch is at on? What does that mean? See, I told you Jenny is really into this. This is her thing. (laughs) I'm having fun. Okay. Pushing. One of the ways to describe this is when people, uh, we're not going to talk about pushing the pause button. We're going to be talking about another one, pushing the on button. Now, what does that look like? It means you're open. You're vulnerable. Um, it can be very appropriate for love and intimate relationships. It's just the way to go. It's you're wide open. There are no defenses, and there's a sharing and a connection, connectedness. It's so precious. That's wonderful in 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 your own personal life. But when you have the uh, your button is on on all the time, and you're at work and you're helping others, you're going to be in trouble soon. It's not appropriate. And what begins to happen is you may do things that aren't appropriate. You may begin to, 
your own materials, believe it or not, may infiltrate, and con- we call it contamination, contaminating the work that you're doing to help somebody else. Yes. Um, gets very complicated. Now, what it, about pushing the off? Ah, and the off button. What is the off button? Everybody knows that. That means turning off, and there's total boundaries. There's no vulnerability whatsoever. Is that appropriate sometimes? Well, think about it. If you're in a dangerous situation um, where, and we've, we've been in some of those with uh, violent veterans, and they've been in war and whatever, that is no time to push the on button, the pause button. That's the time to have the button on off. And I don't want to signal up, single out veterans. We've had dangerous addicts as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Peter becomes the bodyguard. Yes, thank so, you, yes. Peter. And, and the, we protect my, I protect the staff, and uh, I get called in for those. Yes. Anyway, Jenny says, the look of my change is very... It's, it's serious. It's, it's very serious different. and frightening. <laughs> yes. That's my old Newark, New Jersey days. But anyway, it's there. But the point is that there is a, a time when that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And there's no vulnerability, there's no empathy or compassion, and there's no call for it. But if you have that button on off, when it does call, is a time for compassion and caring and giving, we've got a problem because you have no empathy whatsoever. You have no connection with the person you're trying to help. You're into self-protection so much that you're not even thinking about anybody else but yourself. And you may even get into a, what they call a disassociative state, which means you're disconnecting even with your, from yourself. From yourself, too. And we have people at work for us that do that. Mm-hmm. They're not aware of it. Well, they are now, but it happens. So you got, in, uh, in uh, perspective, you have pushing the pause button, you have the push the off button, the on button. So what does push the pause button mean? It's, a, it's actually, uh, a, I would say it's a combination of things. Uh, when you push the pause button, you're still feeling. You still have an empathy and a connectedness with the people you're, you're caring for. It's not off. It's not off. No way. You, but you're not as open and out of control with your openness and contaminating the work with your own problems either. You're so, not, not going to react uh, either toward someone else or toward yourself. That's right. You're going to respond. Right. It's yeah. very different. When you respond, you're in an adult state. Your thinking is adult. Um, you're not going to be reactive. You're going to have a measured kind of response. And boy, in our work, it is really called for. Yeah. It's an assertiveness. It's a clarity. It's being in the present, dealing it, with things in the present. It's like you're talking to yourself. In the best scenario, you're talking to yourself and you're saying, I realize I'm overreacting here. This is I'm feeling way too intense about what's happening just right now. So something else is going on for me. Um, I may understand it now. I may not. But what I need to do is push the pause button which means that I'm going to stay here with the people who are here right now and do what's needed, but I'm not going to forget about what has come up. I'm going to come back to it at some other time and deal with it. Which is very important. That's right. So in other words, it's being aware of yourself to know, okay, 
my own thing, my own emotional materials coming up, my own physical material. I know what that feels like, but it doesn't fit for the situation. If if I let that go, I'll be all over-identify with people's problems. I'll try to rescue them. I'll cause all kinds of complications and problems myself. A good caregiver knows about this. So it's very important to be aware of yourself and that that's what that feels like. And then to do a self-correct. And it's not easy. No, it's not easy it's at all. It's very hard to hold yourself accountable for that and to... Um, to to not give in to that just I mean sometimes there's just that urge to just give in to it and you can't you've got to stay in the present okay and one of the things we do really uh, as a team is uh, we, we as a team we support each other and we reevaluate every Monday morning the shape that everybody's in uh, for the most part and we take a look at people and we realize who's been triggered whose old material is beginning to show itself and could become an interfering issue. It could also become an issue that they can get hurt themselves and get sick. So we support each other in that way. We believe that's very important because sometimes we don't have the perspective ourselves. So we need others to be lovingly to be able to support us and say, look, it looks like this is what's happening again. I know you, and it looks like your, your old material, your old reactions are coming up, and it doesn't fit now. And it's actually interfering with our team. We need you. Uh, and, it's, and, and your work is being compromised in helping. So we know that this happens to everybody, and it needs to be dealt, taken care of. Well, what happens when somebody does push the pause button, and they... Uh, realize what's happened, they re-push the pause button and they back off. That doesn't mean the material and the energy that they've absorbed just goes away. No, you can't bury it. It's not going to disappear. It doesn't. And um, one of the things is a lot of people believe it does, but that's, that's another, absolutely not true. It along doesn't. the lines of time heals all wounds, that's not, not true. Not true. So, absolutely. And she, she knows that because we've told a lot of people, warriors, that worked with us, we tell them that's, that's not true. Yeah. So one of the things is you can't do that. So what does that mean? When you push the pause button, that doesn't mean that that material or that's been stimulated in you or the energy that you've absorbed from the person you're taking care of has gone away. It means you're going to have to release that pause button at another time when it's appropriate. And you're going to have to deal with the emotion, the pain, the wounds from your own past, uh, the difficulties that you're that you're dealing with from the first people you're helping and yourself, you're going to have to deal with it and come to grips with it. We use a work that we do because we believe that you got to take care of the body, and the body is holding a lot of this material. So we have ways to do what they call a catharsis, where we get rid of that pent-up emotion. It may be uh, another avenue to healing some old wounds because this, this kind of thing draws out old wounds that never healed. Uh, it may be uh, emotion that you've taken on grief and pain from the people you're taking care of, and you can't get into that at this point, but you better deal with it when you release that pause button. We believe all of that's important. Coming and getting mentoring and coaching and consulting with me, or other leaders in the Jenny, um, it, it, it's very important. We find that that has to be done. If you don't, that negativity that you're absorbing will become very toxic. What does that mean? We've seen people get sick. We've seen them get injured. And I'm talking about the caregivers. Uh, we've seen things happen that can be very negative. They'll begin to act out. 
and be actually undermining to the team. They won't be doing their work well anymore. They're not even thinking straight usually. They don't even remember. Sometimes they, their memory begins to get shaky. There's injuries. I'm sitting across from a lady who got injured, Jenny. Yep. I got injured a year ago. Um, Jenny now is injured. We have others. We're, we have people that are calling us that have been injured as caregivers that we got to help. So these things begin to happen. We have to prevent that. We're talking about the countering of the destructive um, accumulation of the energies, the emotion, the pain of these difficult situations and how to get through it, to decompress it, and come back to yourself in the present. And and we have again returned to what we say at the very beginning of our podcast, that adversity can be an opportunity to grow and to become uh, a better self. And, and this is definitely part of that picture. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, we introduced the um, concept of pushing the pause button when we're triggered, uh, when, when we're reacting uh, intensely to things that are happening in the present that's not appropriate. Uh, we contrasted uh, the on switch when we are entirely open and vulnerable uh, in, in loving relationships. Mm-hmm. The off switch in which we are not connected at all to people, but is appropriate when we're under threat. And the pause button, which is where we are uh, challenged by something in the present. And our own histories, our own wounds come up. And we become uh, embroiled, uh, mixed up, confused, not only just in the past, in the present, but the past as well. And how do we uh, prevent uh, ourselves from overreacting in the present, either on other people, on ourselves. Um, how do we, do we, return to deal with this material? Well, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about another part of it, and is that we can, be, we can begin to over-identify with the people we're trying to help, too. And I've seen that in so many different ways. The nice part about working in teams, we can counter that. If we see one of, our, one of us do that, the other can counter it. But I remember working with a, a Iraqi vet who worked for us. He's now a, a, a counselor. And I remember we were talking to, we were doing an evaluation of a, a, a vet who came to us who had tried to kill himself. And uh, he, was in so, he was in a lot of pain. I remember that. Good, good guy. He was an officer. I, I don't know how He'd, he became an hadn't officer. Hadn't he been promoted kind of beyond his capabilities? capabilities. And he knew it. Yeah. And three months into it, he tried to kill himself. Um, he, did, he did live, and uh, he was referred to us. But one of the p- things that happened was the fellow that was working, and I love him, by the way, he was a vet. He, he had such a caring and concern for his brothers and sisters that had been through Iraq and Afghanistan, that as smart as this guy was, and he was smart, mm-hmm. he couldn't help himself but jump right in and offer all kinds of help and do whatever it takes. And da 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 da. And I remember sitting there, and I, my job was to train him. Uh, he was an intern. 
<clears throat> excuse me, but I remember looking at him and going, you got to stop now because he was actually getting... He was trying to rescue. He was trying to rescue the fella and the, he was getting... The, fella, the, the vet that had shot was getting very upset yeah. because we were all of a sudden not able to... It was hard to sort out his emotional issues and he had plenty of them before he shot himself and our interns. His issues, yes. And they just... and. My God, I remember our intern, wonderful guy, I still love him, um, could not stop himself. He had been triggered. He'd been triggered. And he wanted to rescue. Do you know why? Because no one rescued him. And he was still in so much pain about no one being there for him that he, was, he made some kind of personal commitment. They'd never let that happen to anybody else. His triggering brought all of this emotional material and behavioral material into the situation and really contaminated it. I remember having to back him off really strongly and said, stop, and we'll talk about it later. And I forced him to push the pause button so we could get on with doing whatever it took to be clear about what the problem was in front of us and make sure we could do something to help this fellow and not hurt himself anymore. It was. It took a job. It was. In, I can do that. That's how powerful these old emotions are. Very powerful, and they, I can tell you this: our intern meant well. Of course. Oh boy. I know he did. And he's a wonderful guy, but he could not stop the outpouring of emotion, and it seemed at first compassionate. When it got done, it wasn't at all. It was out of control, and it, we weren't even sure it was about the kid that we're trying to help. Yeah. It was his history that was pouring forth. This is this is what happens when we push the pause button or we bury things and, and he, we don't come back to it. And he was that that was really what happened. It was his buried material. Yeah. And he had plenty of traumatic episodes in Iraq himself. And uh, although he hadn't been wounded, he had been around enough horrible horrible things that he carried it deeply and yeah. then he had his own history before he ever became a, a, a marine so these kind of things happen and that was a dramatic situation because we were i was really getting scared because the kid that was sitting in front of us took an ar-15 and shot himself with it tried to kill himself to me that's too that's very extreme yes and we had to make sure that didn't happen again we had to find out what was behind all of that talking about triggerings well Plenty of his triggerings came up that caused that destructive behavior. Anyway, we have to teach people when we when they're when we're training them and mentoring them, we do teach them about pushing the pause button. We'll talk about it to truth when we were in teams. I know that uh, Jenny's worked at me. At, well, no, when we worked together with someone and uh, during the recession, I'll, I'll never forget this. <laughs> I'll never forget this. And I was very mad at banks and how they were treating me and how they were treating and so And justifiably people. mad. Absolutely. But one guy came in and his, what I don't remember, his home had been repossessed, everything. It was tough. It was the last thing that he should have brought up with me because I had such a rage about how the banks treated people. Anyway, once he got into it, I was right there with him and really gone. And, Lynch, and then Jenny looked at us and says, don't say another word. That is it. <laughs> yeah. You just opened up a can of worms for Peter. He has got such a backload of anger about how the banks have treated people. And now the two of you are really into it. And she says, now, and she looked at the guy and she says, now, have, has Peter helped you? Is this, this? is this helping? Is this helping? <laughs> and he, we both had to look at each other and go, no, I don't think so this time. <laughs> so, yeah, I had compassion, but it was misguided. And I was triggered. Well, it's nice because she could stop me. Now I'm bringing that up. I've stopped her many times with other things. But oh, she, yeah. that yeah. was dramatic. And boy, you pushed the buttons about how I felt about banks and how they were treating people during the recession. 
I was angry and I was an advocate for so many people. But it was in that time. It wasn't in his best interest. It at was that not. Point. Yeah. In fact, it was fueling the flames of his uh, destructive anger. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it can happen. So, so what we're talking about here is, I think it's a big subject. I really do. I don't think this is going to be this episode is going to be it for triggering and pushing the pause button, because there's a lot of things we've got to talk about. Is well, what causes triggering? Um, is there really a way to not just counter it with pushing the pause button, but how do you turn this thing around with people that get triggered? Yeah, if you if you manage to push the pause button mm-hmm. and go back to deal with what you've paused, how do you do that? And how do you get better at this? This is all key, key ideas, things to practice, things to learn. It's something we've worked on for years and years and years, and we don't expect people to understand it right away. Mm-mm. And we want to, it's so important. We want to make sure people learn. It really is. And now, you know, one of the things about this is, well, what happens about that material that gets triggered? Well, there's ways to begin to resolve the content of those issues of, that are being brought up with triggering. And I'm not talking about psychotherapy, but I am talking about ways to recover from the, the traumas that um, this, you know, interesting about triggering, it's an opportunity because yes. it begins to tap into old buried material that you probably wouldn't have gotten to and it would have really caused you trouble in your life and you wouldn't even known it until you were in the midst of it. This is an opportunity to heal and to grow and to continue on the quest for hope and healing. And when I listen to it and I think about it, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be lightweight about this because I'll tell you, after the way we've been feeling and what we've been through, I think the emotion runs pretty intensely, it and does. it's difficult you know, for anybody. So we're not sitting there being critical at no. all. We can understand someone saying, "This is too much. Absolutely. This hurts too much. I just don't want to go through." And it. we have heard people say it. Yeah. I've said it in my own self, but I know I've done it so long that I know I'm going to take it on. Jenny knows she's going to take it on. Um, we we do that. Our staff, most of them, do take it on because we want that resilience. We want to grow. We want to heal ourselves too. Yeah. So part of helping others is a way to help ourselves it's heal. To challenge ourselves to grow. Absolutely. Here we are doing this. More the people that we want to be. That's right. And look what we're doing. We wanted to reach more people. We wanted to put this out to everyone that needs it. Mm-hmm. And here we are doing a radio broadcast every week, a podcast that's around the world and on every um, venue that we can that we can get it that on. Gets on. Yeah. We're getting calls from all over the world. And you know what? It's a way for us to also heal ourselves. And we have to go back. After we leave here, we go right to work with more trauma and more difficulties and pain. So we're not avoiding it. There are such a thing. This is a respite. This is a high point that we benefit from. And we realize there is hope. And uh, some young man sat, uh, sat down with me the other day at lunch, and he uh, works for medical uh, uh, technical supply place, and he said, and he knows what's going on in my life and the life of so many people. He says, do you, do you see that? Is there hope after this? And I said, of course. Of course there's hope. Of course I see life after this. But right now, for my own personal life, my commitment is to my wife. My commitment is helping her first and foremost, making her life comfortable, cared for 24-7, 
protected and loved and appreciated. That's my commitment. That's all of our commitments. Um, Jenny has a brother-in-law and sister who's helping. She feels the same way about it. Yeah. We all do. But the truth of the matter is, is there hope afterwards after all this difficulty? The answer is yes. Absolutely. When we're in the midst of our emotional pain, do we realize that? Well, it might take a little time to... No, we don't always. Sometimes we just hang on trusting that we will get back to where we feel like we can work this out. And you've got to have some faith that even if you don't see a positive, hopeful outcome in the immediacy of what you're going through, there is going to be hope. There is a positive outcome eventually, even if you can't see it yet. They call it faith. And we got it. And I'm not talking religious. I'm talking personal, spiritual faith. And you need it. We live by that. When we're in the midst of the emotion, it's hard to remember that. It's good to have it can be, people around to remind us. It's also good to have a good cry sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, get your anger out. It's good to have some help in that way, to be honest with you. We're uh, a safe place. So we're going to talk about this more and go into it in more detail next time. Um, anybody that has any questions or any thoughts about it, please get in touch with us on our website. Yes, please do. And um, your homework for this week will be when you get triggered, um, try to think about this, um, what you feel like, what it feels like to push the pause button, uh, re- pay attention to what it would be like to push the off button and the on button, write it down. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at this. Take a look at when you recognize you've been triggered, then look at these three different options you have to deal with it. Don't judge it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And let's take a look at it with you. Anyway, please get in touch with us. We will, we offer our loving wishes and best to all of you, particularly your caregivers. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. The Survivor's Guide to Life is sponsored by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, SCTT. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Thank you.